Uh, it's my privilege to welcome you to church. Uh, whether you are here or you're watching online or you're watching at some other stage, you are welcome. And um, I just think it's a privilege uh, to talk about Jesus. He is our hope. He is our light. He is our life. And his message uh, changes lives. So I've got the best job there is tonight. (laughs) Um, Let me pray. Father God, we just want to receive from you tonight that you would speak to our lives, whatever our situation, whatever our background, whatever our age, uh, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would um, open our ears, that, you, that we might hear from you. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just impress uh, this word upon our hearts, that we would receive it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, welcome to week three of our sermon series called Rebel Jesus. I love that backdrop, by the way. Um, our creative team is fantastic with the stuff that they do on stage and it's appreciated. Uh, and tonight we're looking at the topic of Jesus confronts generational differences. So why are we calling Jesus a rebel? Um, it seems a really harsh thing to say about our saviour, you know, you hear that rebel Jesus and you think, oh, should we say that? Uh, that was my response. But in week one, Ben defined a rebel as someone who has a cause, a conflict and a cost. Someone who has a cause, a conflict and a cost. And by that, gen- by that definition, Je- Jesus certainly was a rebel because we know he had a cause he said he came, that, uh, he came to seek and save the lost. He came to give us abundant life. That was his cause. And his way of life and his message certainly caused some conflict, didn't it? Particularly with the religious leaders. And he bore a cost. And the cost was his life. Jesus was considered a rebel because he challenged the social and religious norms of the day. He didn't do things the way everyone expected him to. So when I was given this topic to preach on, Jesus confronts generational differences, I have to admit it threw me a bit because I had no idea how I was going to preach this topic. (laughs) Um, Should I admit that? I could not think for a moment about how Jesus confronted generational differences. So as I always do, when I prepare a message, I press into God and he always comes through because he he showed me. Jesus actually confronts generational differences. So I started to think about how so much is different about the different generations are. Beyond the obvious differences like the music that we like or the clothes that we wear or the hairstyles. Actually, I I don't actually understand that one. Why do people go around with their their hair hair all over the place? It doesn't make sense. I'm showing my age. Sometimes I look at some of the things that the younger generation say and do and it seems like we're on a different planet. And I think... You're odd. (laughs) You're really odd. Um, 
but I know, I know that the younger, younger ones are looking at me and some of the other oldies and they think how weird we are. I know that because my kids tell me I'm weird and they call me a boomer, even though, even though I am Gen X by a couple of years. I think it's because, and maybe it's because of the way I dress sometimes that they judge me, or because of my more advanced sense of humour. Because <laughs> I know you don't get my jokes. And more often than not, they judge me because I can't operate technology the way that normal people should. But I'm not alone, am I? And I think about the different ways that we commute communicate with others because when I was growing up we talked to people on the phone we we talked to them on the phone and we used conversations uh, verbal conversations like with actual words Um, I know it seems odd to you now we text or we use messenger or video chat and we abbreviate everything we don't even use full words all the time now and I can remember one night uh, speaking to my older children in the car and, and I was trying to convince them that it was better to talk on the phone than just text. And they looked at me like I was from a different planet. I think about how when I was growing up we called adults Mr and Mrs. Or if they were closer family friends, we would call them Uncle and Auntie. We wouldn't dare call an adult by their first name. I remember when common courtesies were still common. Um, And you didn't actually get anything if you didn't say please and thank you. Uh, Are you hearing me? Mind you, I did think my parents and my grandparents were weird too because they spoke a different language as well and they used words and phrases like golly, And glory be, what about this one? This is a really good one. Wigwam for Goose's Bridal. You'll have to look that up when you go home. This is a a phrase that my grandparents and my mother actually used. Wigwam for Goose's Bridal. Look that up. And I used to think that these older generations were far too old-fashioned and conservative, and you probably think the same about me. And I remember hearing that children should be seen and not heard. Who agrees with that? Uh, Now, see those hands. I can't remember who said it. Children should be seen and not heard. It seems to be the attitudes and the values that separate the generations most. Like the older generations seem to value traditions and how things have always been done. But the younger generation seemed to favour the quicker, the newer, the better ways. How can we do this better? How can we do this faster? The older generation seemed to favour the long-term things. In my parents' generation, it was common to stay in one job, one career for all of your working life. Nothing wrong with that. But that seems to be less and less common these days. And I've heard it said that you could possibly have five or more career changes in your lifetime. I must be a young person because I think I'm on about four at the moment. Um, So I'll I'll claim that. 
but the younger generations seem to favour change and moving on to other things. And I could go on all night about our differences. And while I don't think there's a huge divide amongst generations generally, there certainly are misunderstandings. Uh, We don't always communicate well together and we don't always see one another in the same light that Jesus would. And in some extremes, different generations can even be ignored or treated like second-class citizens. So how did Jesus confront generational differences? One of the most seemingly rebellious or controversial things that Jesus did was to hang out with the people that he did. They were people that others considered not worthy of their time or their space, and they weren't, were certainly not important enough that Jesus should spend time with them, but he still did. Think about some of the people that Jesus connected with, and Winnie talked a little bit about this last week. Lepers, they were considered unclean. All kinds of sinners, tax collectors who were despised, What about the the story about um, Jesus and the woman at the well? Uh, He was judged because he spoke to a woman and because she was Samaritan. And and the Jewish people despised the Samaritans. They They didn't interact at all. So Jesus broke all the social norms. And Jesus' behavior and, and his connections and his associations were countercultural, they're against the norm. And if we were to consider these interactions within the context of the day, most people would have considered his behaviour not normal. It was even more unacceptable for the Jewish people who were very stuck in their ways. But to the religious leaders of the day, his behaviour was outrageous. This guy was claiming to be the son of God and yet he hung out with sinners. The ordinary the least likely. And even his own disciples didn't understand all the time the people that Jesus spent time with. Surely Jesus was too important and his time was too important for some of these people, including children. No, they self-appointed themselves as his bouncers, as his bodyguards, and surely these people shouldn't be given time with Jesus. So what did Jesus say? Jesus said this, let the children come to me. Let the children come to me. See, people were bringing little little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was really mad. He said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Don't stop them coming. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. I love that picture. (laughs) I really do. Um, And while that seems relatively normal for us, it wasn't normal for them. Children weren't received, they weren't given that kind of attention. And I love that Jesus never treated people 
any people, including the children, like they were less important. He never treated them like nobodies. Instead, he treated them with significance and they were worthy of his time and his love. If anything, he actually elevated them to a place of honour. If you were to read through all four gospel accounts in Jesus' life and were to note all the significant interactions that he had with people, it really seems that Jesus seemed to have a a special place in his heart and ministry for those who were powerless. He had a special place. It seems that he had a special place for these, otherwise known as the least, the last and the lost. Also imagine if people actually lived to the ripe old age that they do these days, we might be reading about Jesus welcoming the seniors to come to him. We don't because they didn't live to those kinds of ages generally. But I guess that he would treat them with the same sense of value, dignity and compassion. That he would minister to their hurts, their needs and he would embrace them because this is who he was. This is how he treated people. I can remember the first church I ever worked in. I was a young pastor in my mid-twenties and I was ministering to a congregation that was mostly elderly people. So the youth group was in their 70s probably. (laughs) Um, And I was in creche. (laughs) Um, And each week my ministry partner and I would visit the people in their homes and we would join with the Tuesday morning craft ladies or their craft group as they knitted, they crocheted, they macrameed and they tried to fatten us up with biscuits, cakes, scones, whatever they could, and lots of cups of tea. But what I remember about those experiences was that they were some of the richest interactions I've ever had in my ministry. Some of these people left impressions for good and for God um, for my whole life. We would visit them with the intention to minister to them, but would go away being ministered to. Um, by their love, by their hospitality, and by their life experience. Some of the best stories, some of the best experiences. And then on Thursday afternoons, we would run a children's, uh, a Christian kids club for the neighbourhood kids, almost all of whom were unchurched and largely from broken homes. And we would play games, we sang songs, we did the actions to those songs. And there was silliness and laughter and fun. Very different from the seniors group. (laughs) And we would run the program with the intention to share Jesus with them. Um, But we would go away having been more blessed by them because of the fun that we had, um, because of the relationships that we built and because of their openness and excitement to the gospel message which they received. We wanted to do the ministry, but they ministered to me. Do you know that we need each other? We do, really, every generation, every generation. And I look at this room and I think, how awesome is this that we've got really little ones? And I don't want to point to the really old ones. Oh, sorry, Tony. Um, um, every generation, we need each other. 
whether we realise it or not. That was God's design and intention for his people. So when we become a Christian, the Bible says we're added to the church, also known as the body of Christ. A Christian was never meant to operate in isolation. And Christians were never meant to operate within their own subcultures, just like that. Collectively, we become a part of the one body, the one body of Christ, and we all need each other. The Bible says it this way, and I'm just reading from 1 Corinthians 12, and it says this, just as one body, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and might I also add boomers, Gen X and Gen Y, Gen Z, and every other generation. And we're all given the same spirit to drink, even so, the body is, made up, is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were near, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God placed, has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they're all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other if one part suffers every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. We're called the body of Christ. We are. And our mission is to continue his ministry here on earth. We are his hands and his feet on earth. And we all have a part to play in the body. And while it's true that the Holy Spirit lives in us individually, in each of us, and we could make a a difference for the kingdom individually, the best expression of the body of Christ is together in community. We could do it alone, but that's not the best expression of it. We need each other. We need all of us doing all of our parts together. We need each other. Do you get it? So what does this mean in the context of different generations? For the sake of the topic, I'm just going to reword that passage a little bit for you. So God has placed 
the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one generation, such as the youth, where would the rest of the body be? It would be lots of fun. It would be energetic, but it would also be noisy and messy. <laughs> as is, there is one, there are many generations, but one body. And the Gen Xs, such as me, cannot say to the Gen Yers, the young adults, or the Gen Z, the youth, I don't need you. Because we need the passion, we need the energy, we need the new ideas of the younger generations. And who would know how to operate the technology <laughs> if you weren't around? And the young can't say to the elderly, I don't need you. Because we need their wisdom. We need their life experience. We need someone to hold us back from the foolish mistakes that they probably already made. We need their godly example. We need role models who are mature and know what it is to be faithful and steadfast. Those generations that seem to be weaker are indispensable, it says. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Maybe we should connect a little bit more. Maybe we should minister together a little bit more. Let's do it intentionally. Let's do it regularly. Uh, there's value in us mixing together. I sometimes wondered if I were to cast, uh, if I had the job to cast the people who played the significant parts in the Bible, if I were the author of Life and Faith, who would I have chosen to be God's special representative? Who would I have chosen to show God's power here on earth? <laughs> I would have done it a lot different and thank goodness uh, that wasn't my job. See, I would have chosen the obvious. I would have chosen the impressive, like Steve, uh, the popular, the influencers, the financially successful, the naturally gifted, the intelligent and the strong. My heroes would have been sane and reputable people. They would have certainly been grown-ups and sensible. They were the people I would have chosen but that's not how God worked. Who's read the Bible? Is it anything like that? No, it's not. Who did he feature in his story? He chose the least likely to show his glory through. He chose sinners and he seemed to go for the most ordinary and the least likely people that you would ever choose. And this included the elderly and lots of young people. God has always used people of all ages to play significant roles in his kingdom work here on earth. I'll say that again. God has always chosen, he's always used people to play significant roles of all ages, to play significant roles in his kingdom work here on earth. I challenge you to read the Bible, Old and New Testament, and see how many people are either elderly or young or very young. And they were chosen 
I was still chosen to play significant roles in his kingdom work. What about Abraham and Sarah? Do you know about them? They were around 100 when, when they had baby Isaac and they became the parents of a nation. Moses was about 80 years when he started his ministry, when he led the people out of Egypt, the people of Israel out of Egypt. The prophet, uh, prophets Anna and Simeon um, were elderly and were featured in the gospel story when Jesus was a baby. What about the young people in scripture? The, the young people that were featured in his story. There was Moses, I call him Mo. He was a baby when he first played an important part in Israel's history. Samuel, or Sam, was a small boy when God first called him. David, or Dave, was a boy when he was chosen to be the future king. Joseph, or Joe, was a boy when God gave him dreams and visions for his future and saving God's people. Daniel, or Dan, was a young man when God chose him for a significant role while they were in exile in Babylon. Mary was a very young woman when she was chosen to be the mother of Jesus, on and on. Timothy was a young man when he, was, when he played an important part in, in the Apostle Paul's ministry, uh, missionary team, uh, when they planted the early church. And there were a couple of letters that were actually written to Timothy that we can still read. He was a young man. And the Apostle Paul wrote to Tim, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in faith, in love, in faith, and in purity. See, God doesn't look at age and gender difference when he calls and uses us for his work. He doesn't look at those things. We read in the book of Samuel that the Lord doesn't look at the, at the things that people look at. People look at the, outward, at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's the hearts and lives turned towards God that God uses. And he continues to use people of all ages to play a significant role in his kingdom work, to continue the ministry of Jesus. See, I see it. I see it, I see it in, in many of you and I really, really wanted to mention names um, because you inspire me. Um, I see it in young people who invite their friends to church, in, in young people who invite their friends to youth or, or children's ministry. And I see it in so many young people of this church who are worshipping God with their whole heart and serving him in so many ways, even at a young age. And we've already seen it tonight on the stage. I see it in my own children who are following Jesus and serving him. God still uses people of all ages. And I see it in our older generations as they continue to serve and attend worship faithfully. Some of our most senior people are the most inspiring spiritual people I know. Well, I love that we have the likes of Tony Maloney here every Sunday night. Uh, and she welcomes us and blesses us and cheers us on. Thank you, Tony. Bless you, Tony. Well, I love that we have Sandy Hart. Bless her heart. 
uh, that she ministers to us in so many ways. She preaches up a storm and we need her life experience. We need her maturity. We need her beautiful spirituality. And if you were to our 10-hour morning services, you would know our oldest couple who are in their 90s, Don and Peggy Cleaver, who only just last week celebrated their 73rd wedding anniversary. 73rd. To me, they are one of the... uh, they're one of the most beautiful, godly couples I've ever, ever met. Uh, and they've served in this church a very, very long time. Thank God for our seniors. Yeah. God keeps using every generation. It doesn't matter what generation you are, God still uses us. And I see it in every generation in between. God needs all of us. And he needs every generation to do their part to reach every generation. Did you know... And I'm going to ask the band to come out now because I'm nearly finished. Did you know that the message of Jesus transcends generational differences? It reaches above, it reaches across. Transcends generational differences. How is it that a book written thousands of years ago about events and people who lived thousands of years ago in very different lives and in very different situations is still so relevant How is it so relevant to everyone? Regardless of their situation, regardless of their stage of life, regardless of how old they are, the message of Jesus still changes lives right across the generations. And what is it about the message of Jesus that crosses the divide of culture, of race, of gender, of generations and everything else? What is it that crosses all those divides? Let's look at the way that he interacted with people for a start. His way was about giving of himself. His interactions were always about the other person, about what he could give to that person, not what he could get. That was how Jesus treated people. So he served, so he loved, so he taught, so he encouraged, so he healed, so he forgave, and he gave them his full attention. And while not everyone accepted what he was giving to those who did receive him, he changed their life. And you see, Jesus didn't look at people's differences. He didn't look down on people. He didn't condemn the sinner. He accepted everyone as they are, as they were, and no one had to earn his approval. He just helped the people who wanted to be helped regardless of where they were from or what their situation, even when others didn't approve of his behaviour. And his message was one that appealed to everyone. It crossed and it still crosses every cultural and every generational barrier. It was a message of hope like no other. And it was delivered with love and compassion. And it was a message that was all-inclusive which was so different to what they were used to. And he claimed to be the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. This was a message of salvation, but a message that really rubbed the religious leaders up the wrong way. They couldn't receive that. I found this, I'm going to finish with this passage. I found this this afternoon and God 
does amazing things. I think it sums it all up. It's from 2 Corinthians 5 and it's in the message and it says this. Our firm decision is to work from this focused centre. Jesus centred, if you like. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone, including all the generations, in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could be included in his life. A resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. And because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look or by their age. Now we look inside. And we see that, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. How about that? And it's created new. The old life is gone, a new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from God, from the God who settled the relationship between us and Him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with the with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God's given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women and the different generations, if you like, to drop their differences. Drop your differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ. That's how. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. So he broke down all the barriers. He reconciled us to himself. I just want to finish with this. I would love you to know this new life, this new fresh start, this relationship with God and to become friends with God because he's already a friend with you. This is available to everyone. It works right across the ages. It works right across the generations. Regardless of where you're from and what you've done in the past or how old you are, it works. Jesus' life works. And Jesus made it possible for us by paying the price for our sins. All you need to do is invite him in. Thank you.